Hi, I'm Rina. And I'm Arbaz. Twice a month, we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and changemakers. This show is for creative thinkers who have a passion for changing the world. For Women's History Month, we are excited to hear from Dr. Celine Nielsen, who is the co-founder and president of Glocally Connected. Celine has worked in migration-related work for the last 20 years as a director, professor, coordinator, manager, instructor, and consultant. She has taught undergraduate and postgraduate courses in California, Iowa, Washington, D.C., New York, and the Republic of Turkey on the subjects of immigrant well-being and education. In this episode, Celine speaks with us about how she got involved with her work with refugees in Iowa and the projects she's led providing educational assistance to teachers in Syrian refugee camps in southeast Turkey during her time as a visiting professor in the region. We talk about a particular Syrian refugee girl whose life was completely changed and who is now a famous activist in Turkey, the barriers to receiving an education in the region, and the challenges she's faced through the years and her experiences. Dr. Nielsen has presented in the United Nations on behalf of refugees and has given numerous talks about her continuing work with Syrian refugees worldwide. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, well, I'm an immigrant myself. I came to United States uh, about 30 years ago uh, from Turkey. And my parents, my, my whole family immigrated. My parents worked for the State Department and um, we immigrated to United States. And um, I had all the, you know, um, regular difficulties, I guess, language and, and fitting in and, and knowing about a new place um, here myself, you know, lived firsthand. I'm a first generation immigrant. And then um, uh, so we, I was always interested in international affairs because of that. And um, and I started studying and I started studying languages, French and all that stuff. Um, but what happened was um, I moved to Iowa uh, about 2007. And uh, when I moved to Iowa, I was finishing my, my uh, PhD in education. Education was always um, uh, a passion of mine. And, uh, and I was doing uh, like international education, globalization. I was looking into things like that. And then I started working at a nonprofit organization, um, uh, working with refugees, basically. It was um, uh, integrating refugees into their new environment. And Iowa is a refugee uh, resettlement state. So there were refugees from Bosnia, um, Cambodia, you know, Sudan, um, Iraq. There's just from all over the world, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, we did some work. We did reports about language acquisition. We did reports about integration, housing. So, um, uh, so I was very much involved with refugee work. And then I decided to take a, a visiting professor position in southeast Turkey in Gaziantep in 2012. And when I went there, the Syrian situation, the crisis had just started. And because it's the border town to Aleppo, you know, Gaziantep and Aleppo are maybe about 30 miles from each other. And Mm -hmm. um, so um, uh, the the borders were open and people were pouring in, basically, you know, running away from the violence. And nobody knew what was happening at that time. It was just uh, unprecedented. Um, People just kept... 
um, crossing the border, not knowing what was going to happen, and um, and Turkish government set up some camps, and and um, people were just really going into this unknown future, thinking that everything will be okay in a few weeks or maybe in a few months that they would go back home. So that's how it started. But because of my work and and I had been involved with refugees beforehand. I had a very big sense of what was happening and I knew that it wasn't going to end, you know, like anytime soon. So I wanted to be involved in the education of the refugees because at that time, the the Syrian people were not really um, um, uh, so much into getting um, an education for their kids in Turkey because the the belief was they were going to go back and um, so that they didn't have to learn a new language and things like that. So, um, well, at the moment, there are about 4 million Syrian mm-hmm. refugees in Turkey. And not, you know, this is not well-known um, knowledge around the world, but this is a, you know, like very big crisis. So that's how I got involved. And and um, but and also I had friends, you know, um, wherever I lived, people um, from Syria were just um, all around me, basically. I had friends that were teaching at the university and that had family in Gaziantep. You know, like I said, it was very close quarters. So there there were a lot of people that were just um, um, around me that were from Syria. And we just lived firsthand how, you know, it developed. In right. right. You're, you're surrounded by, by those folks. Were there any particular stories, um, you know, especially women, you know, that, you know, that, that were, that you, that were touched, that touched you or moved you? Um, there were many, your- actually, there were many, there, um, there were, for example, you know, like, um, I was, we were visiting the camp one time in Jupinar camp, which is on the border. And um, you could hear even like the, the blasts on the other side uh, in Syria. And um, and we were looking into trauma and um, we, we wanted to um, set a workshop for um, trauma management for the uh, for the teachers in the camp. And and there was this little girl that was following me, basically. Mm. And um, um, maybe she seemed like 14, 15. I don't know. And then um, so um, so she came she got her courage and then came and asked me in Turkish, you know, like if, if she could have my phone number, um, heard me speaking Turkish. And then I gave her my phone number and um, she said that she was learning Turkish and she wanted to learn. And um, so, um, so we started speaking every day, basically on the phone with her. And then I realized she was quite gifted. And um, uh, there was one day we had a need of uh, somebody who spoke Arabic and Turkish, which was very rare, actually. It wasn't, it, it wasn't very prevalent people speaking, uh, you know, Arabic, uh, the Syrians speaking Turkish or, or Turkish people speaking Arabic. And um, so um, even though it's the, such close proximity, um, you know, like there's a lot of historical things about that. But um, um, so, um, so she helped us, you know, with many things. And then I started taking her to some conferences and, and taking her outside the camp a few times. And then she uh, won a poetry competition and the, the uh, governor gave her some awards. And then she, she started uh, doing activism work. And then her story was really interesting because um, she, when, she, when um, they were living in Idlib and then, you know, in the countryside and in their village, everything was fine. She was going to school. Her parents were very interested in that. She won some science awards and she wanted to be a doctor. And 
And um, all of a sudden, one day, you know, like some some kids were set aside because they were saying some anti-government things. And then some soldiers came and then one of her friends were actually killed in front of her. So the the uh, the school was just in a chaos. Her her father sent a guard to pick her up from the school. So so they uh, picked her up and then she was just coming home and there was a, you know, like stop. The, the gendarmes were stopping the cars. And, and so she waited for a long time in the car to pass through. Uh, you know, they were checking IDs and things like that. And she saw another murder. And, and uh, so she was quite panicking at that time. All of a sudden, one young girl going to school, her life is just completely changed. And that night... You know, with along with like maybe 30 different people from the village, they on foot, they decided to just walk to the border about maybe 30 miles and cross the border into Turkey. Mm-hmm. And um, so she, she was telling the story that, you know, like history matters, right? You know, um, in, in history, they were taught that, you know, like Turkish people were the enemy. And, and I, I was, you know, I grew up and studied in Turkey. We were taught that, you know, Arabs were the enemy so you you um you have these things filling your mind and she didn't want to go into Turkey because you know like she was just afraid and she saw um her little brother you know started running away to uh, and then um the gendarme at the border the Turkish soldier actually started running after and she she screamed because she had no idea what was going to happen and um and you know like when Finally, she saw that, you know, the gendarme actually picked up her little brother and and put, you know, his jacket around him and gave him an apple because, you know, like it was cold and they didn't. Mm -hmm. She was just like she said that her whole like um, preconceived notions and, and, and stereotyping just disappeared, you know, like in a moment's um time because because connections you know like people to people connections matter so much more and that taught me a lot too so Mm -hmm. that that's why I um I really believe in you know like connecting the people telling the stories and and um and um uh, so that people won't be surrounded with these um images of you know like hostility and enemies you know after all we're all people and then we all want the same things right we get cold we want to eat we want to be friends you know so yeah we want the same things so from iowa where did you go next i went to turkey i went to gaziantep and that's that's where all these things happen you know i was in gaziantep um on the syrian border and um for how long uh, for a year, I stayed there for a year. Um, we set up trauma management programs in um, refugee camps. There were 22 camps at that time. Uh, a lot of them closed right now. And um, so, um, um, so I would go to the camps, and then the, the the teachers in the camps. There was education set up, but the, it didn't have any validity because. Um, uh, the teachers were volunteers from the camps uh, and they were teaching uh, uh, an Arabic curriculum, but, um, um, but it wasn't, you know, the curriculum of the, the Syrian government. And um, also, you know, like it wasn't the Turkish um, uh, curriculum either. So it was, so there, you know, there were a lot of people not going to school, but um, uh, right now, you know, like, Things have changed and and people are going to school, but still, uh, about there's about a million um, school children, refugee Syrian children in Turkey, and about maybe sixty percent are in schools. 
So about 40%, like about close to half a million um, um, student-aged children cannot go to school. So that's a very, you know, like big concern of mine. What are are the main barriers for them um, receiving an education? Well, um, I'm I'm glad you asked that. Um, There are many barriers. Um, For one thing, there are like child labor, right? You know, um, child labor is um, not allowed in Turkey. It's not legal, but but, uh, it's happening. So um, uh, the enforcement is very difficult. So um, uh, a lot of refugees, because they have no other way of uh, earning a living and, and they have to survive, um, they they um, work in fields or factories or, you know, like uh, under the table uh, jobs. So a lot of the children are working. So that's that's one obstacle. And um, early marriages, you know, that's also an economic from economic um, situations, too. And um, so, um, you know, 13, 14 year olds getting married. So they're, they they are not continuing their education. The women, yeah, the little girls, yes. Yes, and and there's so you can't really. Um, it, it's very difficult to um, uh, figure out, you know, like if if they're never registered in school. So um, um, so who is getting married early and things like that. And then also there's this other obstacle I found out that um, um, they have to be registered wherever they go into Turkey. And um, where whatever city they're registered, they have to stay there because all the um, the the budget is arranged for that, and that city is getting the aid. But um, but when there are no jobs, for example, you know, like there are areas where there are absolutely, you know, like the unemployment is high, there are no jobs, so they move, so they go to places like Western Turkey where there are agricultural fields or there are jobs, mm-hmm. um, and then um, so they work, but um. But because they're not in the place they were registered as a refugee, then they can't register their kids to school. Because if they do, then they'll be found that they're not in the area that they were registered. So they would be sent back to that area. So um, in order to prevent that, sometimes they just don't register their kids to school. So I've I've come across that too. And so there are some really, um, you know, unexpected obstacles um, for example, uh, in that time, you know, one of the obstacles was that they didn't want their kids because the Turkish schools allow all Syrians to go to school, you know, like they're allowed to go to school. Um, uh, there's absolutely no restrictions, but um, but uh, they didn't want them to get an education in Turkish, you know, like not lose their heritage and everything like that. So um, in Turkish schools languages in Turkish. So when they start school, so those were some of the uh, invisible barriers too that, um, uh, that were put across. And, and um, yeah, it's it, one of the things that I'm really worried about is that if kids don't go to school, you know, what will happen? You know, like uh, they will be a lost generation, you know, pray to terrorism, pray to, you know, uh, exploitation and and it's 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 a very very um difficult situation so after spending a year in turkey in those camps uh where did you go next so i came back to united states and um what happened was that um the whole world was kind of becoming aware of what was happening um in the world and um uh, as far as syria is concerned and especially in like 2015, there was this um, uh, 
picture of a child, you know, like a, a toddler dead on a, a Turkish beach circulated around the world. So the whole world kind of responded, you know, Europe opened their borders for a few days. But um, and then there were um, uh, there were quite a big of, you know, like awareness going on. And and uh, uh, we wanted to find out my my friend Sherry and I, we, we wanted to find out in our neighborhood in, in California mm-hmm. if there are refugees and um and we found out that there were and we wanted to find out what's going on what are their rights and you know like what do they get uh, you know education or or um um i don't know community building basically and then uh we found out there were some gaps um they they needed for example language is the first thing i found out you know like for me for the syrians or anybody if you cannot communicate you know you cannot function in in any kind of society so um so um, we decided to set up language courses, English courses, because some of the obstacles here was that if, if for example, mothers have small children um, and there's no childcare and no transportation, they couldn't, you know, learn the language basically, and and there would be no opportunity for them to interact with, I guess, their neighbors or anything like that, especially if they're. Um, feeling a little vulnerable and with all the news going around, you know, negative uh, views of Middle Eastern uh, people and everything like that. So uh, they, they become quite isolated. And some of the um, people we worked with, uh, for example, Afghan women that we met it came as refugees here and um, uh, we were able to actually as locally connected that um uh, to set up some ESL classes and to to be able to assist them in um their language training uh, providing volunteers to um provide transportation and childcare and so um like meeting some of the needs that were not covered by the governments or or the st- cities or states and what what are uh, what have been some of the challenges and in, in, in what you've been doing and, and uh, uh, opportunities that you see? Well, the biggest challenge is public opinion, you know, that we are surrounded by negative news about refugees and immigrants, which is like, you know, like refugees are not a different species, you know, like they're people and, and people um, fail to see that. And they, um, uh, people look at the situation and hear news about refugees and and um, and become afraid of the people that are actually trying to um, make a life in a different place. And we do that all the time. You know, somebody gets a job and then and then moves another place. It is not different. It's just that these people have no place to go back to. That's the only difference. They cannot go back to uh, a, a violent place where their lives are in danger. But other than that, you know, like people want to get educated. People want to be productive members of society. People want uh, their children to to do better than themselves. You know, like th- there's just um, um, no other goal of a person who's leaving uh, a surrounding that is that is violent. And um, so the perceptions are quite. Um, wrong and and that has been our biggest challenge and um so um but uh, one of the great things is that you know for example we had a lot of people in the community um that wanted to help out wanted to volunteer 
And they said that, you know, like when they volunteered, they wanted to do something for their communities, but they had no idea, you know, like who these people are, what they are going to come across. And they were always, always 100% pleasantly surprised that, you know, like to meet people from all around the world with with different traditions, different um, cultures, but with the same love, you know, of of their neighbors, of their children. So it's just, it was quite um, uh, interesting to see that how people um, see their similarities immediately more than the differences. Absolutely. So, so in, for the next few years, what, what are you currently championing? What What is your work focused on right now? I know, do you still teach? Um, and how how's globally connected doing as well well um uh, yes thank you so much so um uh, right now we have some projects you know uh for the community building because that's our goal is that to um it starts in the community it starts in our neighborhoods and um uh, connecting people um doing things together and then and then so that people would get to know each other that's what we're doing. We give ESL education. We do some activities to to connect the members of the community. We do um, we give empowerment to uh, to refugee women for entrepreneurship or or um, uh, include inclusion into the uh, the economy basically, and also you know overseas. I have a lot of projects um, in Turkey with the Syrian refugees. Uh, for example, pro, um, I, we collaborate with an organization, Turkey Volunteers, to uh, provide scholarships for um, for young girls uh, to go to school instead of, for example, working in factories. We we actually seek out these girls, find them, and uh, talk to their families, do wage replacement, you know, through donations, and send them to school and and monitor them and and follow them up. And there has there's been like 30, 35 girls so far. That has been educated and none of them dropped out. So this That's is amazing. It's it's yeah, it's small, very small, but it just works. And also there are some makeshift camps for um Syrian refugees working in agricultural lands in western Turkey. And so we collaborated with Rotary Club and, and some other donors in order to provide them uh to get them to schools, nearby schools, the children maybe tra- provide transportation. And and most of the time, it's it's very dire situations. There's no running water. They, 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 they have nothing, you know, like not even shoes or clothes or blankets. So so we provide also some of the basic needs uh, for for those people um, uh, living in that area uh, that are falling through the cracks, basically, you know, like not covered by any major organizations. So um, our work is small. But um, we are um, we are very lucky to collaborate with organizations like Saab Initiative to get the word out. And one one other thing we do is that um, we try to change the the perceptions of um, what's going on in the world and what is an immigrant, what is a refugee, and and um, you know what, how do the world view this? And you know some of the um, myths and concerns are just that myths, you know, like there's no, um, there's no justification, for example, uh, about the, uh, the econ- economic downfalls of, for example, immigrants or refugees in, in a capitalistic society like United States, 
every mm-hmm. person is a consumer. So if you increase a population, basically you are increasing, you are strengthening the economy, which is, you know, like just um, uh, not the perception. So um, those kinds of things. And education is the key. So providing education makes people more productive members of their society. And the more productive people are, the better it is for the society. And um, and um, we can only have something to lose if we um, are not coming together and if we are turning our backs to each other, basically. So that's that's how I see it. And we can absolutely agree with that, too. Yeah. Definitely champion that. So, um, so yeah. So besides uh, the work that you're doing with the refugee work and all that, um, you also work uh, in academia, correctly? You work you work as a professor. Yes, yes. I teach. Um, I teach for NYU uh, um, development of immigrant youth um, uh, class. It, 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 I I do talk about that, and also I I also teach at um, UCR in the global studies department. Uh, I lecture about um, uh, global migrations and and um, you know globalization. Tell us a little bit about your experience teaching students about you know your experiences and uh, and and just your your stories that you uh, that you uh, you know went through. Actually, um, this um, last spring uh, we I taught the global migrations class and and it was wonderful because I had um, a lot of students that were not very familiar with, you know, what was happening, like the, the details of, of what's going on, especially with the refugee situation. And um, so um, uh, what I did was I connected them with refugees, basically. So I gave them this um, project that they had to interview and and connect with refugees in, in Turkey I, I um, through WhatsApp or, or whatever. And... Um, and then they had to report back on it. And also I brought local people that came as refugees, you know, Syrian, Afghan, and um, and to the classroom so that they, as, you know, guest lecturers, and then they, so they could learn. And um, when I asked at the end of the class about the, you know, like evaluate what was the most impactful thing, what did they learn, they were really um, most impacted by these connections, like one-to-one connections. They connected with someone. It became so real. It wasn't from a book. It wasn't from uh, somebody telling them third hand, but it was just them, you know, coming across and hearing the stories firsthand from uh, from the people that went through these. So that was very impactful, and I I, I really um, got good feedback, and um, and I felt good that because um, even though these students are university students, even though these students are studying global studies, um, their surprise and their um, uh, thinking that they're not um, they they didn't they learned something they didn't know actually surprised me too. Um, so I was thinking that if these students, university students studying global studies are not aware of what's happening, how can we expect the, the public to know or to um, to be, I guess, sensitive about this kind of subject? Absolutely. So, so what you're doing is amazing, you know, like spreading the word. And, and, yes, um, that's one of, the first, yeah, one of the things that we could do to, um, to help you do that. Well, March is Women's History Month, and we definitely consider you a woman leading change. And we definitely want to highlight all the work that you're doing. Um, but looking back, do you have any women that you looked up to? 
Well, <laughs> I have many women that I, I, I look up to. Um, <laughs> I, I, for example, my mother, you know, like my mother is a very um, a strong woman that I always looked up to. And, um, and she has, um, uh, she has worked in m- many fields. She worked for the State Department in many different jobs, but also um, her compassion was the one that really guided me. She always believed that you have to be on the side of justice, not on the side of power. And I really took that to heart. I just, um, I, um, I, that, that's my life motto, basically. And, um, and, and, and I, I like people, you know, I, I always met like-minded people and, um, that's, that's one of the people that I look up to. Oh, one last question before we wrap it up. So I saw a picture of you on Facebook, um, with Malcolm X's daughter at the United Nations. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, what was that experience like? That was um, that was amazing. I took my niece uh, to the Women and Girls Science uh, Conference, and then I got a chance to speak um, uh, about that because we established a scholarship for a um, refugee girl studying science. And um, but um, uh, and then my niece came to me and 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 she said she was so excited. She says, "I'm so starstruck right now." And then she's studying history. Uh, at RCC, her name is Melis, and she she said that she met um, uh, Malcolm X's daughter and and um, and um, Shabazz, and and it was just so uh, she was very excited about that, and she said they talked about history, they talked about uh, what was going on in the world, and then she gave her some um, advice about life, and you know, like as a young person, so she was. She was quite, quite excited about it. You know, like she, she, you know, Malcolm X is one of the people that she really looks up to. She's read about it. And, and, you know, it, it was it was an amazing moment, basically. We thank Dr. Selin for joining our podcast, especially in this month of March, as we celebrate Women's History Month and International Women's Day for her work and life dedicated to the well-being and education of refugees especially those of girls. We thank her for her time and commitment. She is a world champion in our book. Thank you for listening. And follow us on social media and subscribe to our channels.